Hey, Westside family. My name is Matt, and I am the co-leader for the Young and Free Group. Thank you for joining us for today's message. We hope that you are blessed by the Word of God through the speaking of our pastors and leaders, and we pray that this leads you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We love you, and enjoy. So let's go ahead and, and, and get into the Word. I want to talk to you about words against us. How many of you have had words spoken against you? Just me? Preachers aren't the only thing that, that pastors aren't the only thing, the only people that has that happen to them. It kind of goes with territory as a pastor, as a church faith leader. You're always going to get someone talking about you, taking your words out of context, not liking what you wear, not liking how you talk, uh, just not liking you. Uh, so it kind of goes hand in hand, but in our reality, I think that's life, where we just got people that talk about us. They just say things against us. It can be on your job. It can be at a... It can be at a stinking family reunion. You, you go to your family reunion, you lost 40 pounds, and you're looking hot or handsome, and all of a sudden you got people talking about you because they're jealous that you lost 40 pounds. Go figure. It just doesn't matter. I think it, it's, it's, it, it's life. It happens, it happens everywhere. And in the context that we're discussing today, it definitely happens on our journey of faith. It happens from the enemy of our soul, where he speaks against us. And I want to read you a, a, a verse uh, this morning to confirm what I'm saying, and it's in Revelations chapter 12, uh, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now, save, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ or his Messiah have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That's, that's a very big, big part there. If you can see that up there. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them, accused, pretense, past tense, who accused them before our God day and night. Day and night. Think about it. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night, you got somebody talking against you. What is an accusation? There is false accusations and then there's truth accusations, but in, in, in a short term, an accusation is a speak against you. It's an imputation of some type that is trying to come against you in a very short form. And right here it says, the accuser of the brethren, which is speaking of Satan, goes before God day and night. Day, what does that mean, day and night? Well, what it means is day and night. It means 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 28, 30, or 31 days in the month, 365 days in the year, you got somebody that is speaking against you. And there's forms and processes in which this happens. And there is distinct effects against us or with us that occurs. Let's look at the, some of the forms and the processes. Well, let's look at some more confirmation. 
So we see that Satan does this against people to God. We, we, we see that in Job. So you go to the book of Job, and the Bible gives us some very interesting insight into spiritual warfare and what actually happens between God and Satan. There's not a lot of places in Scripture like this, but this area of Scripture gives us some interesting insight into what happens into the area, that, into the domain that we don't see and we don't know a lot of. It says that Satan went before God and he accused Job. And he had a conversation with God, basically accusing Job that the only reason he is righteous is because God was so good to him. That if God removed his goodness, then Job would therefore remove his righteousness. So we see Satan going before Job in an attempt to accuse Job of not really being who he was, who he was. Remove your goodness and he will remove his righteousness. We see that Satan accuses us with other people. Story, in effect, Jesus telling his disciples that he has to go to the cross, that he has to die, he has to experience this death. Peter and all his wisdom and his righteousness and his boldness and his authority and who he thought he was, but he really wasn't, says, no, not you, Jesus. This ain't going to happen. And then Peter stopped and looked at Peter, and he didn't refer to Peter, but then he referred to Satan. Satan, get behind me. So what was really happening here? What was the dynamic? What, 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 what is the essence of the experience? The essence of the experience is Satan, Satan was speaking through a righteous man to stop the will of God from occurring in Jesus' life. And sometimes Satan speaks against us in a way to stop the will of God from occurring, and he does it through other people in our life. How many of you have been on track? You, you, you thought God laid something on your heart. You thought God gave you a vision. You thought you knew a plan. You knew a purpose. You knew a season. You knew a time. You were excited about it. You was on point for it. You was ready to rock and roll. You shared it. You spoke it to somebody. And out of nowhere, that person rose up and they began to come against what you said you would do. Maybe they had good intentions. Maybe they was not really against you. Maybe they were speaking to you out of their own fear or out of their own insecurity or out of their own lack. But nonetheless, they was used by Satan to speak against God's will in your life. Been there, done that? How many of you got some t-shirts that says it? Satan speaking against God's will in your life through someone you're close to. Another one, ourselves. He speaks to us. So before Cain killed Abel, God was having a conversation with Cain. And I'm going to have to paraphrase because I can't remember it verbatim. But God basically told Cain, Cain, 
Satan or the enemy is out to swift you. Is out to destroy you. Is out to snare you. So Cain was looking at his brother's offering and looking at his brother's way of worship and was becoming very jealous. Where did the thought and where did the idea come? Pick up that rock and crush his head in. Did it come from God? Did it come from something he saw his parents do? Where did it come from? It come from a word against him. It come from Satan. Cain. He's a punk. He's always going to be better than you. He's always going to be more pleasing to God. You're always going to be second best. But I have a way to fix that. There's a big rock right there that's a little bit harder than his skull. You could be number one, Cain. They'll look at you instead of look at him. A word against him. We know the story. He struck his brother and he killed him. So we see Satan day and night speaks words against us. In different processes, in different formats, in different ways, but it's always with the same intention. Can someone say same intention? Still, kill, and destroy you, me. That's why he develops words against you. That's why he accuses you day and night. You have favor and he doesn't. You have authority and he doesn't. You have access to God and he doesn't. You have your place in heaven and he doesn't. You're loved and he's not. You're accepted and he's rejected. He will never mount up to God, even though he has always wanted to be. And because he can, he's going to come against you. And he comes against you with words. Words of influence, words of leadership, words of manipulation, words of deceit, words of lies, words of accusation, words to steal, to kill, and destroy who you are in God and what God has created you to be. Amen? So two areas of Scripture where we see words against. Number one, Gideon. Number two, a sinful woman with Jesus. So let's look at both of these. Judges chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. This would be words or accusations of weakness. The Lord turned to him and said, now he's talking to Gideon. Go in your strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Now, now please get that. I, I want that to register in your mind. What God said to him right here. It's, 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 it, it speaks a plethora of information 
that we definitely don't have time to get into, but yet it's enough to impact us. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Talking about Gideon's strength. God didn't say, Gideon, I want you to go in my strength and save Israel. He didn't say, Gideon, I want you to go in the strength of your forefathers and save Israel. He didn't say, Gideon, I want you to go in the strength of, the, of my spirit to save Gideon. He said, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Go in your ability. Go in your power. Go in your talent. Go in your skill set. Go in your experience. Go in what I have placed in your hand and save who I've called you to save. Now, let's look at a dialogue here. Well, he ends that, he ends that sentence with the question, Am I not sending you? Then we jump to 15. Pardon me, Lord. He tries to be a little bit nice here. Passive-aggressive junk. Don't you hate passive-aggressiveness? Just say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't be nice, but be, but be ugly underneath. Kind of get a right on about that? All right, anyway. Pardon me, my Lord. Get in replied. But how can I... Save Israel. Check this out. So check. I want you to see the polar opposites right here. My clan, the family that I come from, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Okay, so let's look at two polar opposites right here. God is saying, go in the strength you have. Gideon is saying, I come from the weakest family, and I am the least or the weakest in my family. So God is looking at Gideon and saying, I got a strong man right here. But yet Gideon is looking at it himself, and he has heard a word. He has allowed a word against him. To enter into his heart, settle into his mind, establish a system of belief, and therefore control an outcome. Hopefully that didn't go over your head. He allowed a word to enter into his heart that ventured into his mind, that came out of his mouth, that became a controlling factor of his life. It went into his heart, his spirit, it came into his mind, it came out of his mouth, and it controlled his outcome. Let me say that again because this is so important for spiritual processes in our life. It came into his spirit, it came into his mind, it came out of his mouth, and it became a controlling factor of his life. What comes into your spirit and goes into your mind and comes out of your mouth becomes a controlling factor in your life. What do you allow into your heart? What do you allow into your mind? And what do you allow out of your mouth that has become a controlling factor for your past, your present, and your future? 
something and somebody told him, your family is weak and you're the weakest chump in your family. Somebody has told you your family was addicted, you're going to be addicted, and your kids are going to be addicted. Somebody has told you your family's been poor, you're poor, you're always going to be poor. Somebody has told you your family is sick, you're sick, and you're always going to be sick. That is a lie from hell because God, the Bible says, I know the plans that I have for my people and it's planned to prosper them, plans to bless them, plans to strengthen them, plans to lift them up. What will you allow in your heart? What will you allow in your mind? What will, what will you speak out of your mouth? And what will you allow to happen in your life? Words against us. There was words against Gideon. Where it came out of a vision, we don't know. Whether it came from a family member that was jealous, we don't know. Where it came from some type of source, we don't know. But we know that it was a words against him because it was a word against God's word. How do you know a word is against you? Because it goes against what God says about you. So the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities of darkness. So when someone says something to you that opposes God's word to and for you, that is in the context of a wrestling match, and that wrestling match, even though has come out of the mouth of another human being, is rooted from the works of the devil. So the word against you is not necessarily the words of another human being, even though it is coming out of a human's mouth. It is a snare. It is a trap. It is an arrow. It is a target. It is a bullet and a rifle to try to steal, kill, and destroy what God has from you. And it is the work of your enemy. It's just sad to say that there's a lot of people out there that allows the enemy to use their mouth To affect, control, manipulate, deceive, to break, to discourage other people. So we establish who told him this. The root of it is the enemy. The middle ground we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Not even going to try to figure it out. But we know the root of it. And we know the truth of it. So if you know the root and you know the truth, you can ignore the middle and you can just take care of business. Jesus Christ, that's good. If you know the root and you know the truth, just ignore the middle person and take care of business. I'm going to say that another time. You guys, slow. Freaking slow. Where'd you graduate from? I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I know I'm being a little arrogant. I barely graduated, so I can't say anything. And I almost got kicked out of Bible college, so I really can't say anything. I come from the school of hard knocks. But I am smart enough to know truth when I see it and hear it. And this is the truth that we need to apply 
when you know the root of the problem and you know the truth of the problem, you can forget, forget about the middle person. So husbands, wives, if you know the devil is speaking through your spouse, don't get mad at him. Just keep on loving him because you know the truth of God. Amen? Because sometimes Satan uses us husbands and Satan uses us wives. Can I get an amen? You you may not want to say amen because you might get your butt whooped when you get home. You might not get some loving, fellas, so you better watch out. Ladies, you may not get some romance, so you better watch out. That's what it all boils down to. You understand what I'm saying? I'm being a bit silly right here. Just kind of break the ice. You understand what I'm saying? Like seriously, we focus so much on the middle person. Oh, this person offended me. Oh, this person said this about me. Or this person looked at me this way. Or this person ignored me. Or this person hurt me. Or this person gossiped about me. Or this person lied about me. Or this person gave me this. Or this person gave me that. Or this person didn't give me this and gave that one that. We, 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 like, we major in the middle. And in the process of majoring in the middle, we ignore the root. And because we ignore the root, we cannot, we cannot chop the root to get to the truth. Like, when are you going to get to the point to just stop caring, like, what other people say and think about you? You can take this job and shove it, because I don't need it anymore. Well, you can take their opinion and shove it, because you don't need it anymore. If you guys don't know Outlaw Country, then you don't know the song. Merle Haggard think. My wife is getting on to me. You get the point. I'm being real with you this morning. The middle ground is keeping us from the high ground. Man, look at someone and say, I don't care what you think about me. Say, go ahead and cuss me. I don't care. Go ahead and give me that California wave. I'll kiss you. Amen? All right. That was just freebies. That was not a part of my plan. Let me move on. My wife is giving me the looks. But I, do, I think I'm going to go listen to that on Spotify when I get in my truck after church. Take this job and shove it because I don't need it anymore. You know, have you ever had a song just get into your system and you're like, man, I got to listen to that song. I'm probably going to listen to it. I'm going to learn it on the guitar and I'm going to come in here one day, but I'm going to change the lyrics a little bit. All right. No. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Seriously, look at someone and say, take out the middle ground. Know the root. Apply the truth. That's what Gideon needed to do. And he did. And he became one of the greatest judges in Israel's history. Because he took out the middle ground, he cut off the root, and he obeyed and listened to the truth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's move on. John, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 8. I got a little... So what's on here is just, is, is just a, a, a piece, but I'm going I'm to read to you the full context. So you have on here verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read you verses uh, 1 through 11. Or 
Yeah, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers, this is where this picks up right up here. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses has commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, Take this job and shove it. I'm just kidding. I had to do that. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. That's really in my, in my mind now. <laughs> it is funny, ain't it? it ain't <laughs> I could see Jesus saying it too, right? My Jesus, not your Jesus probably, but my Jesus. My Jesus was like a rebel. He was like an outlaw country dude. So uh, anyway, let's move on. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Check this out. I love this. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. So we have a woman that was accused of her past deeds, whether that past was, was the day before, the hour before, or the year before, it doesn't really matter. What matters is it was a past deed. And people are the world's worst about holding past deeds against us. People's the world's worst about not seeing the work Christ has done in our heart and in our life. They don't see the new man or the new, new woman. They see the old man and the old woman. They don't trust the new man or the new woman. They mistrust the old man and the old woman. And Satan uses this against us with a, an array of victories for him and failures for us. Where he tries to create an ongoing thought process of what we did as opposed to what we're doing or going to do. Behind these accusations comes shame, guilt, a sense of being less than. And we have to realize that this isn't the work of Jesus, nor is it the work of God, and this is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says... The Bible is very clear with what he does with our sins when we confess them unto the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible says that he has taken our sin and he has thrown them into, does anybody know? That's the second part of it. The Bible says that he's taken them 
and he's thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness. So what just happened right there? So there's two things that really has happened. If that was the Pacific Ocean, let's say I was standing on, on the pier, and our, so just two weeks ago, me and Koa went fishing with my brother. We was about, was about 10 miles out, <clears throat> fishing for tuna and such. And at one point, we got to where we was in 4,000 foot of water, a true sea of forgetfulness. So if I would have had something that actually sunk as opposed to a plastic bottle, and I threw it into the water, it would have went down into the oblivion. It would have been forgotten about. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to see it. I wouldn't be able to reach it. I wouldn't be able to touch it. Uh, I wouldn't remember it. But there's something else that happens. There is a distance created between the thrower and the object being thrown. So what can we know from this? What we can know from this is when we confess our sins unto the Lord, He doesn't forgive us, but yet keep our sins close. He takes our sin and He creates a distance, a disconnect between them and Him. He doesn't harbor our sins against us. He's thrown them away from Himself. He doesn't Take your sin from 10 years ago and keep him close to his heart. He doesn't have a bag of stones labeled sin that he can pull out and hit us with this every time he feels, feels the need to or feels like it's of a necessity. No, the Bible says that he throws them into the sea of forgiveness. He disconnects himself from our sin. So if God is disconnected from a sin in our life after confession and repentance. Who is it that tries to keep them close? Now there is a root, there is a middle, and there is the truth. So the root is the enemy. Keeps them close every time you look in the mirror, every time you might watch a certain TV show, every time you're with a certain group of people. Every time you have a certain emotion, every time you see a certain sight, every time you go to a certain store or a certain restaurant or, or, or wherever maybe past sins had taken place, Satan keeps them close because he uses them as a weapon, as an arrow in his quiver, as a round in his chamber, as a blade on his side. Every chance he gets, he will take the sins of our past and he tries to shove them in our face and shove them in our heart. But that's not from God. Because God has taken our sin and he's disconnected from them. And he not only disconnected from them in a way that he can retrieve them, this is not God right here. I can jump off the stage and I can get the bottle. He did not throw the sin into shallow water. He threw the sin into a place where it is unobtainable. So he is not pulling your sin back from the point of, re of, of repentance and forgiveness and shoving them back in your face. That's the work of the enemy. And the work of the enemy does it through your mind. 
The work of the enemy does it through your friends, through your family, through people. And the work of the enemy just does it outright himself. But if you know the truth, you can cut out the middle. You can cut out if it's coming from your mind. You can cut out if it's coming from someone in your life. And you can cut it out if the enemy is just rearing up and trying to accuse you or trying to remind you of your past sin. See, Jesus asked this question. Who could... Is anyone not, not, not condemning you? Oh, I don't have it up there. She says, no. See, they couldn't condemn her. They had no power to condemn her. Number one, because how could they condemn when they're condemned themselves? How can Satan condemn you when he's condemned himself? How can people in your life condemn you when they're condemned themselves? For all has fallen short from the glory of God. So they have no authority to condemn because they themselves have been in the, in the position of condemnation. But they don't have the power to condemn because they didn't set the standard. They didn't set the rule. They didn't write the book. God did. So when Jesus asked this woman, has anybody condemned you? She said, no, no one's condemned me because no one could condemn her. And then he says, neither have I. He's like, no one can condemn you. And I'm not going to condemn you because in me is life. In me is the light of the world. In me is peace. In me is freedom. In me is access to God. In me is forgiveness. In me is everything that you have been promised that I have, that I'm going to die for, that I'm going to deliver to you. Just come to me. Come to me, all you that are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. What is rest? It's salvation and it's peace from God Almighty. No one can condemn you. This is a revelation for somebody today. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. I, I wasn't throwing sin at you. I wasn't seeing, throwing sin at you. Does that make sense? As long as you repent, you ask God to forgive you. And the Bible is very big on that. We confess our sins and we repent unto the Lord. And, and, he, and he told her, he said, go and sin no more. That's another message and a talk within itself. But the, my point is if you've gone through the steps and the process and you have the heart and the mind to repent unto the Lord, confess your sins unto the Lord, the Bible says you've been clean, you've been, you're white as snow, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he does not hold your sin against you. He has thrown them to a place where they're disconnected from his heart and he can no longer get to them. It's done. So when we finish, and you are from right now, not when we finish, so from right now, Except chop out the middle person. You know when you have something in the middle, you don't just cut it once. Right? You have to cut it twice. You have to cut it at the point of the truth and you have to or at the root and you have to cut it at the point of the top. If you're trying to cut out something, I don't have nothing to cut. I'll give you an example. If you have to cut something. You have to cut it at the root, 
you have to cut it at the top, and you remove the middle. Some of you got some cutting to do. You, you need to make some changes in your lives, changes in your mind, changes in how you receive people's words to you, changes in what you believe people are saying. Gideon believed until he finally accepted the truth. The Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But we have to walk in truth and walk in the Lord. We have to do our due diligence to take care of the enemy in our life. You're not the weakest, so you can do whatever God calls you to do. And you're not condemned for past mistakes whether that was five minutes ago or whether that was 50 years ago. Because you are set free for whomever the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Nothing formed against you shall prosper. Amen? Let's go ahead and end this. Let you go home. 1120. Worship team, if you guys can come up, let's just sing God is good. Would you stand up, please? Let me pray over you. I'm going to ask them to sing this a few times, and when they're finished, we can be finished. How about that? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Can you just praise the Lord for a moment if you're comfortable? Would you just, just, would you just praise the Lord? Would you just lift your hands up? Lift your voice up to the Lord. Father, we just praise you. I th you know what? I, I think he's worthy for us to thank him. Thank you, God. Thank you for taking our sin and throwing them into the sea of forgetfulness. Thank you for disconnecting from them, not holding them against us, not keeping them close to your heart, but yet throwing them far away from you into the sea of forgetfulness to where they are totally forgotten about. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. You are worthy to be praised. Even in all of our faults, even in all of our loss, even in all of our humanity and our flesh, you still love us. You still love us. You bless us in spite. You bless us in, 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 in you just bless us no matter what because you love us. You love us. Thank you, God. You are good. And your mercy endures forever. You are good and your mercy endures forever. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Let that, just, let that just soak into your soul this morning. He is good and his mercy endures forever. None of us in Christ receive what we should receive. He is good and his mercy endures forever. He has graced us. He has clothed us. He has blanketed us with his mercy, with his mercy, with his grace, with his goodness. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally and continues to encourage you throughout the day and the coming week. We'll see you next time.